Today, we want to talk to you about something that is often overlooked, and that is the goodness of God. Many people sing about it. Many people talk about it. Many people say, oh, God is good, God is good. But do you really believe that? Do you even know what that means, God is good? Do you really believe that? I mean, I do, but I know the Lord. Most of you, you just say that, and yet you see the thing that happens in Israel right now, and you not so sure. You look at the Holocaust, and you're not so sure. You start doubting God. Is there even a God? You know, many Jews became atheists after the Holocaust. Instead of turning to God, acknowledging their sin, their guilt, their wickedness, their rebellion, they turned away from God. And what about the destruction of the first and second temple? Is God really good even during judgment? And that is really the purpose of today's conversation with Herzl and I. To really expose the goodness of God in the hardest of times, times of judgment. Because God, Adonai, yod hei vav hei, the Creator, is just. And without justice, he cannot be good. We have a saying that says, no peace, no peace, no justice, no justice, no peace in the civil rights movement. So we have to remember that people in America, they did not believe in the goodness of God during the civil rights movement. So some of black Americans turned to Islam and turned to violence. They didn't believe God was good. And the God that many blacks believed in, some Muslim black Americans saw it as a white God because that's how the Europeans characterized Yeshua as a European God. Of course, he's not. But the Europeans put their stamp on God. It was no longer the Torah. It was the King James Bible. Couldn't just say the Bible, the King James, his name before God. And so people didn't think God was good. And they told Martin Luther King, we don't need peace and praying. We need violence. We need war because God isn't good. God has, your God isn't good and he's forsaken us. We're, going, we're turning to Allah, which is no God at all. And Christians in America, when bad things happen, forget the atheists who say there is no God. The root, you know, they said, well, I can't believe in God with hungry children. How can I be a God with people dying? <laughs> this, well, if there can be a God with people living, I can guarantee there can be a God with people dying. The problem is that believers say that because a lot of Christians believe that serving God insulates us from any hardship. In other words, they haven't read the Torah very well and they probably didn't know that Jesus suffered. They probably didn't read about Paul being shipwrecked and whipped and in prison, left for dead, beat up, stoned. They probably haven't read that it's a cross and not a crown, that in this world you shall have tribulation and be of good cheer. And so there is a 
a understanding in Christianity where people can't reconcile how God could let things happen. And we're about to read how, why and how God lets things happen. Obviously, God has a whole picture and none of us do. He sees all the evidence, even, even more than 12 people in a jury box. He sees what the district attorney did not present in his case. He sees what the witnesses actually lied about. He sees what no one else can see. And the reason why he did what he did or does what he does may not and doesn't have to make sense to us. We're not God. We don't, we're not in those inner circles in the inner workings and know every intricacy of why and what and how he's working it out. And so we tend, all of us, to doubt God, even those who believe, even more so those who believe, to doubt God. Where was God? And I tell a story once when I was 14, 16, I don't remember, somewhere between, probably more like 15 or 16, actually. And I was preaching in San Francisco for two weeks, and I was on a bus with uh, one of my friends from the ministry, another teenager, on our way back home to the place we were staying, which is his father's house, actually. And a man wanted to beat me up because I had my Bible with me on a bus called the BART, B-A-R-T, the BART system in San Francisco. And we were talking about the Bible, and he told me to shut up. I don't want to hear about God. You better stop talking about that. I'm going to come over there and get you. He threatened me, grown man. And he started to get up to come at me. And the bus driver obviously can't get up. He's driving a huge bus. But his arm, the bus driver's arm, his right arm, come, comes out of the partition, the glass partition. And he's screaming at the top of his voice while looking forward in traffic of the windshield of, because he's driving, but he's talking loud enough while his hand is extended, holding a giant Bible in his hand. And he goes, you better leave that brother alone because I'm a Christian too. And, and the guy sat down and I felt sorry for that guy. I walked over to that guy and I said, why are you so angry at me? He goes, I don't want to hear about God. My grandmother was killed. She was axed to death. In other words, don't tell me about God being good. My grandmother was a holy woman. She was axed to death. So I don't want to hear anything about God. Kind of like our Jewish brothers leaving Auschwitz. And I thought about it for a moment. God gave me wisdom because I love my grandmother. She's the one who taught me faith. So when he said that, that original, uh, 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 that, uh, immediately resonated with me. My grandmother, what would I do if that happened to my grandmother? Would I hate God all of a sudden? And I came to a conclusion. No, I wouldn't. Because my grandmother loved the Lord. My grandmother gave her life for me. She did everything, sacrificed everything to raise me in faith, my grandmother. I was not going to dishonor her sacrifice for me. 
by turning to the world or some white liberal or some Muslim or some Buddhist. My loyalty isn't to someone I just met in a building or on some website, but to a holy woman who knew the Lord. I'm following. As Ruth says, I'm going where you go. Your God will be my God. Your people should be my people. Well, I gave my life. So I told the man, I said, listen, I'm so sorry for you. I know what it's like to have love for your grandmother. And you said that she was a holy woman. Yes. And, and no doubt she raised you to be holy. She wanted you to follow her God. Yes. And now you are mocking her God and attacking other people who love the God that your grandmother loved. Would she be happy about you attacking a young man with a Bible just because an evil man killed her? I said, the evil man did not know that your grandmother was holy, but you do. So I said, who does worse to the legacy of your grandmother? The man who did not know her and killed her or the man who does know her and mocks her? And he got up and ran off the bus after I said that. And I was making the point, really, the murderer is worse? No, you are. You knew your grandmother was holy, and you're not serving the Lord that she died wishing and praying and teaching you to serve. Now you're so angry at the very God that formed you as a nation, Israel, the very God who brought you into existence, the very God that put you and taught you and took you through the desert, gave you a land. Vineyards you did not plant, houses you did not build, and destroyed your enemies. And that's the God that you're mad at. So we all need that lesson. Amen. And you got to remember, we live in a broken world, a fallen world, a world that is evil, and none of us is righteous. Have you heard of Eov? He was as holy as it gets. Even in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 14, Eov is mentioned as one of the three righteous men, that if they were in the land, Adonai says, they, those three, Eov, Noah, and Daniel, will be the only ones delivered. And yet Eov suffered greatly. And what does it say in Eov chapter 40? <laughs> when Eov opens his mouth to God, does the critic still want to dispute Shaddai? Let him, who wants to correct God, give an answer. And Eov had enough sense to say, I am too ashamed. I have nothing to say. I lay my hand over my mouth. I spoke once, but I will answer no more. <laughs> Eov realized, as righteous as we think we are, there is always a cause for judgment over our heads. And yet, God is just and merciful and compassionate. As a matter of fact, at the end of Ezekiel 14, starting from verse 21, he says, Even if I inflict my four dreadful judgments on Jerusalem, sword, famine, animals, and plagues, to eliminate humans and animals, there will still be left a remnant in it to be brought out, including sons and daughters. That's how merciful he is. And listen to what he says, though. When they come out to you, and you see their way of life and how they act, 
you will be consoled over the calamity I have brought upon Yerushalayim, <laughs> over everything I have done. And you know why? Verse 23. They will console you when you see their way of life and how they act, and you will understand it was not without good reason that I did what I did, says Adonai Elohim. If you looked at Israel today, at Tel Aviv, abomination parades, the sexual immorality, the debauchery, all those orgies on the beach, all the theft and robbery, the corruption, all it's too much to describe and there's no need to get into that. That's not the point, to expose all that darkness. But the entire system of Israel, the entire nation, is wicked, rebellious to the very core. The very government is a corporation. No honor to God. They mock God. They pretend to celebrate His holy days, but they do not. And what do you think? You think that God is just going to let them go? Just going to keep blessing and blessing and blessing? No. He's putting an end to it. Slowly but surely, he's warning you. Hamas was a warning sign. 50 years after Yom Kippur War. That's a jubilee, 50 years. The same thing that happened 50 years ago is happening again. He is giving you a warning. Hey, look at this. And you talk about the people at the party in the desert. Did you know? What they were doing over there? They had a Buddha statue in Israel in the desert? <laughs> and what do you think? Of course he released Hamas to go get them. God has had enough. And yet, he still had a remnant and let a few of them escape so that you could see them and see how wicked they really are when they interview on television. <laughs> America characterizes it as they were just having a wonderful music festival. You know, it's like they don't tell you the whole story. These were just innocent people. Well, in whose perspective? After all, you call women that abort their babies and kill them in the womb innocent. You fight for the right for people to violate natural law and get married to the same sex and call it love and natural. And then you have the audacity of after you approving of it, then trying to preach and tell the world God approves of it. You have a Torah to prove that God does not approve of it. Carlton Pearson, you have the word of God, but God's word is no longer the standard. People are their own standard. So. The reason you've all know people you've met in a party, in a group, and all of a sudden one of your friends is treating another one of your friends poorly. And you go, man, what are you doing that? Why are you being so mean to her? Why are you being so mean to him? Oh, you don't know. You know, another friend's, oh man, you don't know the story. What? No, no, no. No, they, they've got history. No, there's a reason. That guy, that guy took his brother's wife had an affair with his sister-in-law. Now his brother is divorcing because of that guy who had an affair with his wife. But see, you don't know all that story. So somebody comes, oh, so I don't get it. Why are they so mean to him? I don't get it. Why does he talk to, why does he talk to Barry that way? Oh, you don't know the history. They got history. That guy's been in this company for a long time. You just started working here. 
you're the new kid on the block. You don't know. You, you, you're seeing something, but you don't know what you're seeing because you don't know the history. So God has a reason. You don't know it. You don't know. Many of you don't understand the history of Judaism and the Torah. You have no idea. You look at the Holocaust as an isolated event, but there have been many Holocausts throughout Israel's history, the Jewish history of the Judean people. And most of them, if not all of them, were designed by God as a punishment against their violation of the Torah, which he says what he will do if you turn your back on me. And he also promises what he will do when you turn your face to him and repent, Second Chronicles 7.14. If my people, my people, which are called by my name, that's not the Philistines, shall humble themselves, pray, turn from their wicked ways, turn back to me, I'm going to take care of it. I'm going to heal it. I'm going to restore. I'm, I'm going to wash. I'm going to start all over. He has a provision. He's letting you know the reason why this has come upon us. The wages of sin, which means the wages of Torahlessness, the wages of going the opposite bring death. But, but even in that, he, even in the punishment, God allows an appeal. You know, you've heard it in the court cases. People get convicted. They're, they're rushing the client off to jail. The lawyer is screaming out his, his client while the bailiffs are taking him. Don't, don't worry, Joey. Don't worry. Listen, I'm going to take you up to the court. We'll keep fighting for you, Joey. Don't worry. We'll make an appeal. I'll talk to you soon. Don't worry, Joey. We'll get an appeal. Uh-huh. See, God has a remnant. He has a way, even after the punishment, even after the indictment. We'll get a stay, Joey. You're going to get executed tomorrow. I'll call the governor. We'll get a stay. We'll get a stay to stop the execution. Sometimes it's stopped, sometimes it's not. Yeah. And that's really what you see in the Book of Lamentations, which the word itself, the name, lamenting, it's a book of lamenting over the judgment that is coming over the people. Adonai said and has delivered, as long as the people were faithful, nothing happened to them. But the Book of Judges exposes that every time they went astray, which is like six times in the Book of Judges, he submitted them over to their enemies to be oppressed, destroyed, murdered, raped, every time. Because Adonai is life, and when you detach yourself from life, you by default choose death, and it's just the way it is. And yet in the book of Lamentations, what Herzl just said, chapter 3, verse 21, in my mind I keep returning to something, something that gives me hope, that the grace of Adonai is not exhausted. His compassion has not come to an end. On the contrary, they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. There is a wonderful song that we sing. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning, new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness, O Lord. Great is thy faithfulness. Hallelujah. 
Adonai is all I have, I say. Therefore, I will put my hope in him. See, he understands. Listen, I know this is a judgment from you, but you're still all I have. <laughs> I will serve him still, even if he slays me. Eov said, should we accept the good and not the bad? But the people of Israel, instead of turning to God, they turned to Iron Dome, to Benjamin Netanyahu, the government, the politicians, the United States, United Nations. Somebody help us, just not Adonai. We don't want him. Anybody but him. You would turn into all this uh, Buddhist thing and all these Hindu things, except to your own God, <laughs> the Adonai, the God of Yashar'el. That's how wicked you are. And yet, Irmiyahu says, verse 31, rejected by Adonai does not last forever. He may cause grief, but he will take pity in keeping with the greatness of his grace. For he does not arbitrarily torment or punish human beings. Remember that. Whenever Adonai does something, he has very good cause to do it. And still, he will show pity mercy and grace because of who he is. Not because of us, but because of him. And that grace and mercy is so incalculable, so immeasurable, so irreversible, so irrefutable, so in, incomparable to anything that no judge, no public defender, no attorney, no mediator, on this side of earth in heaven can compare. No one will give you more mercy than father. No man, no woman, no beast, no angel than father. No one more loving, no one more forgiving than father. And not because he has to, because he has nothing to gain. You and I do. But it's because he loves us. And not just because he loves us, because we are his creation. Hallelujah. Mm -hmm. Amen. And that's really what Ezekiel 36 is all about. When Adonai says about the restoration of Israel, he says, I'm not doing this for your sake, house of Israel, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have been profaning among the nations where you went. <laughs> it's like, I'm restoring you, but not because of you. Don't think this is something that you did, that you're back in your ancestral land. No, I'm doing this for you. I'm doing this for myself. And he says in verse 31, Then you will remember your evil ways and your actions that were not good. As you look at yourself, you will loathe yourself for your guilt and disgusting practices. Understand, says Adonai Elohim, I am not doing this for your sake. Instead, be ashamed and dismayed for your ways, house of Israel. <laughs> Nothing good that you've done to deserve God's own son. No. No, love. And it's amazing to me what the world makes you do to get back in their good graces. When your credit goes bad, when you're behind on your taxes, they put you through the ringer to get you back if you ever get back and then they promise to keep it on your record for seven years they're never going to let you forget even though you may be changed though few do they'll hold that over your head and remind you that you were a felon 
You can be falsely accused in this society of all kinds of crimes, particularly the sexual ones, and be proven innocent. But once that story gets out, once that label gets out, that moniker gets out, no one will ever see you any different. They will always see you as that. They never let it go. And you want to do what? You want to say God doesn't have mercy? That God doesn't grant forgiveness? That God doesn't restore? No, my friend. No, no. That characterization belongs solely to a human being. And yet, you all buy the lie that a lying, cheating, self-righteous, egotistical, narcissistical human has a greater value of judgment, mercy, justice, righteousness, grace than Adonai, than God? You need help. And yet, God is just, and with that comes judgment. People read Devarim 28, verse 63, and take it out of context. It says, Thus it will come about that just as once Adonai took joy in seeking to do you good and increase your numbers, so now Adonai will take joy in causing you to perish and be destroyed. It's not that he enjoys destroying you. No, it's that he enjoys removing wickedness out of his sight because he is just and righteous and holy. He detests your abomination. So getting rid of it, it's a relief. It's like, oh, thank you. It's finally out of my sight. I don't have to look at that nastiness. Because he even says in Ezekiel 18, he says, if a wicked person repents of all his sins, keep the Torah, does what is lawful and right, he will live, he will not die. Adonai allows for teshuva, for repentance, for changing of your ways. None of the transgressions he has committed will be remembered against him. And you say, God does not have grace? He is willing to wipe the slate clean. Should you change, repent, do a 180 and start observing the Torah? He says in verse 23, Do I take any pleasure at all in having the wicked person die? Ask Adonai Elohim. Wouldn't I prefer that he turn from his ways and live? Understand, you belong to the Father. He created you for His pleasure. He wants you to live. But He loves you enough to allow you to choose to die. That is how good He is. He gives you the choice, even though He knows what's good for you. He does not force it down your throat. He loves you enough to give you a free will. That is how good He is. So good. God. Is so good, hallelujah. God is so good, hallelujah. God is so good, He's so good to me. Hallelujah. You know, Psalm 73 does kind of puts it into perspective, to understand for people that cannot fathom why do the wicked prosper and the righteous suffer. And like you said, the, the, the grandmother of this guy. And we do not have the full picture, only God does. But what you need to understand is that you must trust in the Lord. 
And it's not trust that is based on nothingness, but it is trust that is based on a history. Trust that is based on evidence, on facts, on what has already happened. Again, Psalm 73, what does it say? How good God is to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. Ah, pure in heart. Not all of Israel. Most of Israel will perish and die by the sword and famine. <laughs> but those who are pure in heart, they will get the mercy. But as for me, I lost my balance. My feet has almost slipped when I grew envious of the arrogant and saw the prosperity of the wicked. Ah, that's all those Newport Beach people, Caesarea people. For when their death comes, it is painless. They die in hospice care. They have everything they need, those nice pillows. And meanwhile, their bodies are healthy. They don't have ordinary people's troubles. They aren't plagued like others. They don't have to worry about paying bills and sending their kids off to private schools. And they have everything taken care of. Yes, this is what the wicked are like, verse 12. Those free of misfortune keep increasing their wealth. And he says cynically, It's all for nothing that I've kept my heart clean and washed my hands, staying free of guilt. He says he is the righteous man, right? That looks at the wicked that do not keep the Torah and sees them prosper. And he says, All day long I am plagued. My punishment comes every morning. If I had said I would talk like them, I would have betrayed a generation of your children. Because when I tried to understand all this, I found it too hard for me. Until I went into the sanctuaries of God and grasped what their destiny would be. Indeed, you place them on a slippery slope and make them fall to their ruin. How suddenly they are destroyed, swept away by terrors. See, there is a hell and there is a judgment. And I'm not just talking about here on this earth. This is not the end. God is spirit and so are we. He exists forever and so do we. Only question is, with him or without him? And that is a choice that you make when you choose to either accept his ways and live according to them or reject his ways. You do not come into my house unless you accept my house rules and live according to them. Well, it's God's house, his kingdom. Do you not think that he has rules? A perfect God has perfect rules. You must abide by his laws or else you do not enter the kingdom. It's really that simple. He is not the one that sends you to hell. You choose to go there. And yet you choose to obey man's laws. You obey the tax laws. April 15th, you make sure they're in, or October, your quarterly taxes. You pay your rent. You make sure your insurance is paid, your alimony or your palimony, your child support. You live in a homeowner's association area. You obey those laws or you're fined. You've got zoning laws for your industrial business, your commercial space, your IDA laws for your handicap and wheelchair and your construction, your certifications to keep your licenses current, your apartment complex, what you can and cannot put up on your balcony or hang from your window, where you can and cannot park, or you'll be told booted, or fined. All these laws you obey. Even the doctor 
when to take it, how much to take it, and where to take it. Inject it, insert it, drink it, swallow it. You obey it. But when it comes to Adonai, Abba, Hashem, Elohim, all bets are off. You tell your children what time to come home, what chores to do when the exam is due, when the final term paper must be turned in and you obey it. You get on your fields and you hit your balls on golf or run on a diamond or shoot down a court and you obey the rules or else any potential victory is forfeited. Mm -hmm. And is the judge not just for, for kicking you out of the game when you break the rules, for evicting you when you break the rules, for towing your car when you break the rules? Are they not just? Are they not good? Well, you might say no because you're the criminal, but every law-abiding citizen will say yes because if you park somewhere you shouldn't, that's somebody else's spot, now they suffer. If you play not according to the rules, now you're playing at the cost of somebody else who is playing according to the rules. Anything you do outside of the rules, outside of the instructions, is taken away from somebody else who is living according to the instructions. You're violating the natural orders. So is the judge not good and righteous for punishing you for what you did? If somebody rapes your daughter, and the judge condemns him for life in prison, is he not good? You would say, oh, thank you, thank you, judge, thank you for giving me justice, and you complain about God. Well, they've killed judges that did not render the verdict to their liking. And judges have held lawyers and prosecutors in contempt in the courtroom. He's had them arrested, he's had them fined. At the end of the day, he can reject or accept, but you accept that. You've appointed Supreme Courts of the United States over all of the matters that cannot be adjudicated to your satisfaction in the lower appellate courts. You see, this is an age old story. We are tired of God being our judge. We want to be our own judge. And God goes, so be it. Then you can appoint men as your prime ministers, your presidents, your governors, your mayors, your police chiefs, your rabbis, your pastors, and your priests, since you are tired of me. And you will have the result of men governing men. And as I checked, no one's happy. They're not happy in France. They're not happy in the Ukraine. They're not happy in England. They're not happy in Brazil or Argentina. They're not happy in China. They're not happy in Mexico. They're not happy in the United States, least of all. And we keep switching from one person to another, not just one parties. The parties within the parties are divided. You are a mess. You can't even settle on who's going to be your wife, who's going to be your husband. You can't settle on mothers and fathers. 
everyone that's governing you, the supervisor, the manager, that boss that you wish was not, you can't be satisfied because man does not govern man when God does not govern that man. If God is not your shepherd, you're no shepherd at all. You are a thief, a wolf, a lion, a bear. You're a murderer because God does not run you. And when God who is your head is not your head and you decide to get ahead of him, you destroy not just everyone, anyone, you destroy yourself. And that's really where it all began. The tree of knowledge, good and evil. What is that? The knowledge of deciding what is good and what is evil. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. That's what the government does. Don't they tell you what is good and what is bad? Apparently, gay marriage is good. Apparently, abortions are good. Well, they legalized it. In Portland, heroin is good. Cocaine, meth, it's all good. <laughs> See, when you give men the power to choose what is good and what is bad, they will always lead you down to death. Because man, by his very nature, is an enemy of God because we are fallen. And if God is life, if you are an enemy of life, you are a friend of death. Everything that man does that contradicts the instructions of Adonai will lead you to death. So don't be surprised at Hamas. Hamas is no different than you. Sure, they take this woman and kill their babies, but so do you. <laughs> what is an abortion? What is gay marriage? You're not going to produce any babies unless you fornicate with someone outside of marriage just for the baby, throw her under the bus, and then a couple of men raising a baby that's going to be all messed up because he has no mother. What are you doing? You are building death, and death you shall receive. As he said in Micah, he has called you, oh man, what is good and what the Lord requires of thee, but to do justly and to love, be holy, and to walk humbly before God. Hallelujah. God is my protection. Oh, oh, oh.
Yes, he is. I want to give a message to my beloved Israel. I'm sure many of us, like myself, know someone. I have a very, very good friend there. A brother, a fellow worker in the kingdom of our Mashiach. And I know we're worried because we love them. And they're fulfilling God's purpose. And not everybody knows somebody like I do. No, not everybody has a relationship with Israel. Not everybody loves Israel. Not everybody knows its place in Bible prophecy, Jerusalem. The city of God, the beloved bride of the groom of heaven. Coming back and establish his kingdom. A history with so much pain and disappointment. When you read the prophets, oh yes, God has had his turn punishing his children, just like you fathers and mothers. He's had his turn at making them pay for the crimes and punishments and the violations of his Torah. But in every turn, at every time, at every chance, he's brought them back. Might have hit them with a plague of foreign nation. Might have hit them with a scourge, a disease, a disbursement, a captivity, an attack. But at every turn, God always brings them back because he's faithful to his promise. And Israel shows us that no matter how far off we go, when we forget God, when we become like other nations, when we indulge in idol and pagan worship, when we violate the Torah and ignore him, that every time after the punishment, after the fire, after the judgment, after the consequence of those actions and those violations, Father always takes us back. Yes, beloved, an encouragement to Yashirah. He calls it Yeshurun when he makes it intimate and personal, that nickname that you give when you call your wife honey. But we know Israel is that jewel in the desert, that strong cedar, that lily of the valley. And we know that he has a love for her. It won't be long, my brothers, my sisters. You may bleed for a day, you may cry for a night, a week, a month, or a year, but know this and never doubt it, that God made a promise in Bathsheba to Abraham. He made a promise to Moshe on Mount Sinai. He made a promise and he will never turn back. He'll bring you back. He'll raise you up. He'll breathe life into you again. And you've got the Lord of hosts of the oath on your side. God is a protector. God is a healer. God is your defense. God is your stalwart. God is your wall. God is your iron dome. 
God is your shield and buckler in the time of trouble. So fret not yourself, Yashadel. You know you've been bad. You know what you've done and what you deserve. But he doesn't always treat us like our sins deserve. When we cry out, when we call out, when we teshuva, when we repent, God is a redeemer. He'll bring you back. He'll lift you up. He'll watch you. He'll burn that dross, that mess out of you. He'll redress your wounds. He'll restore your joy. He'll lift your eyes to the hills from it cometh your help. Your help cometh from the Lord. Zavavot, Adonai Hashim Elohim. Don't give up. Don't turn back. Call on him. Call on him. Because God is your all. Always has been your all and your all. God is Shemao Israel, the one. God is your deliverer. Call on him. Call on him. Because God is my all. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. Hallelujah.